Hi, this is Teresa Clare. Welcome to the Mixed Emotions podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Melanie Pearl. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning. Last month, we introduced the Game of Mixed Emotions, which is a fast, easy, and fun card game that teaches emotional vocabulary. The Game of Mixed Emotions reminds us that there are no good or bad emotions. All emotions serve a purpose, and no one emotion is more important than another. Today, I feel excited to discuss with Dr. Pearl about how we can use our emotions to identify problems, set goals, and encourage positive behaviors like helpfulness, gratitude, and respect. A few weeks ago, my 16-year-old son was home on a Saturday night, and he was kind of wandering around the house with a mopey face on, and I said, what's going on, buddy? Are you feeling bored? And he said, yep. So I know that helpful is a high energy, comfortable emotion. So I said, it would be really helpful to me if you would make dinner tonight so I can finish my work. And he paused for a second and said, okay. So for the next hour and a half, he was full of activity and I'm super happy. That example particularly sounds like you're reaping the benefits of what you have previously sown in order for your 16 year old son to be able to make dinner, which would involve looking to see what you have available as ingredients in the home, understanding how to put those ingredients together, knowing how to safely use the stove or the oven. You must have, or someone must have worked with him on, on those things before. There's a phenomenal book by a woman named Judith Lithcott Hames, and it's called How to Raise an Adult. In this book, she actually quotes someone else, and I cannot think of who that is right now, but she talks about four steps for teaching our children skills that lead to greater independence. And so the first step would be, I do it for you. So I make dinner for you. The second step would be, I do it with you. So we're making dinner together. The third step, I watch you do it. So I'm around, I'm in the kitchen, I'm answering your questions, I'm making sure that you're being safe. And then the fourth step would be, you do it yourself. Your son must have gone through those first three steps in order to be able to say, okay, yeah, fine, I'll make dinner. I won't be bored anymore. He definitely did not <laughs> plan on being in the kitchen for an hour and a half. He probably thought it was going to take a half an hour. Yes. What you have done or what someone has done in a very big way is given him the gift of the ability to be helpful, but also the gift of the ability to be independent and, and do for himself as well. So helpful, you know, it may not be something that comes immediately or naturally, and it's certainly something that needs um, encouragement and development over time, but as you were saying before, so many benefits. Right, because he's 16 now, but it started when I had a three-year-old right next to me following me everywhere I go, and that little boy just wanted to do everything I was doing. So while I was cooking, I allowed him to help by adding salt or breaking eggs, putting silverware on the table. Or I would ask him to wash dishes, which really meant playing with soapy water. When he got to be a five-year-old or a six-year-old, we were making cookies together. And then it was more of an activity than a chore. The other thing you're doing in that kind of an interaction is you're filling his tank. So you're together, even though you're working or you're doing a family chore, you're spending time together. He gets to be with you. Maybe there's some chatting that's going on or some singing or some sharing of jokes. And that makes it easier than for him to spend a little bit of time alone or entertaining himself not being bored when maybe you aren't available to be with him because you have filled the tank ahead of time. And so then he can kind of draw down from that mommy attention tank when it's not immediately available and spend a little bit of time on his own. 
one of the challenges I have faced as a parent is wanting my child never to feel uncomfortable. So if he's feeling sad, my instinct says to fix. I want to solve his problem. But I've realized that sometimes my good intentions backfire and my desire to help does more harm than good. So do you have any suggestions on how, as a parent, I can make sure that my help is really helpful? We feel like as adults that we're supposed to know the answer and we're supposed to be able to jump right in and, and, and fix and know what to do. I'm right there with you, with my own kids and with my own clients. I don't always know right off the bat what the best direction is. And so I will outright say, what would be most helpful to you right now? Is it most helpful if we talk about what this feels like? Is it most helpful if we talk about more what happened? Is it most helpful if we brainstorm what might happen from here, what you can do or what I can do? Is it helpful if we come up with ideas that help you address it? Is it helpful if I help you address it? And usually the child or the teen has an idea. Usually they'll say, no, I just need to, I, I just need to think about this for a little while or I just need to feel frustrated or angry right now because that's going to help me um, figure out what I want to do later. Or they'll say, no, there's a, there's a time limit on this problem here and I want this figured out by tomorrow afternoon. And that's a very different direction then that you can go in. You can, you can um, at that point, work on problem solving. And then depending on how much time you have or depending on your child's developmental level, you may be more or less directive in that problem solving. I go through the problem solving matrix with my kids. We first assess what is the problem. Mm -hmm. One of the things about the game of mixed emotions is that when kids can understand their emotions, it leads to better problem solving. So understanding what is the underlying emotion? Why am I feeling frustrated? Emotions are a clue Mm -hmm. to identifying what the problem is. So if I can understand what is causing that emotion, then it can lead me to identifying what is the problem. And then whose problem is it? Sometimes the problem is somebody else's problem. If my child wants to help somebody else, that's great, but also reminding them that you can't solve somebody else's problem, that you can help them to solve their own problem. And then going to the next step, which is, is it a problem that can be solved and then if you can't solve this problem on your own, who are the potential helpers? I love this quote from Mr. Rogers. If you are ever in trouble, look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. Identifying who are the potential problem solvers that, to, that could be helpful in this situation. For problems at school, it could be a teacher or an administrator. It, it could be a friend. It could be a parent. Because if you're an eight-year-old, there's eight-year-old size problems. If you're a teenager, there are teenage size problems and there's adult problems, right? It may be for your son too in, in some of those situations that the extent to which he can be helpful lies in um, being sympathetic or empathetic, um, telling the friend, I hear you, this happens to other people too, so making it normal, you know, I'm, I'm in it with you, maybe I'm not sure what to do, but I'm here for you. And that may be all that he can do if there are other layers or levels of help that need to be that need to be you know brought in but that goes a long way when we let our friends know or people that we care about that they're not alone right. in what they're feeling or what they're going through so we're at the point where we've identified the problem solvers to get to the solution to talk about goal setting do you want to talk a little bit about that next step from your perspective sure i look at that as going back to 
what I was talking about a minute ago, which is what in this instance, whatever it is, could be most helpful. So is the goal to feel better? Is the goal to make some sort of a change in an experience? Is the goal some sort of a tangible outcome? Like I have a problem, I have math homework that's due tomorrow, but I left my book at school. So the goal is to show up at school tomorrow morning with my math homework done. And I find that the goal setting is helpful, especially for kids that are impulsive, that have a lot of trouble looking ahead to the potential consequences of their actions. And so if we talk about the goal first, before we talk about what are the different kinds of things that you might be able to do here in this situation, we get them sort of primed to think about what they want the outcome to be. So just to recap the problem solving matrix. So first we're identifying what is the problem, who owns the problem, then can this problem be solved? And if so, can you solve it on your own? If you cannot solve it on your own, who are the potential helpers in this situation? And then what are the options? Mm -hmm. Once we've identified who the, the potential helpers are in the situation, finally identifying a goal and what are the options on how to get there? Do we want to take action or do we want to do nothing? That's a choice mm -hmm, as well mm -hmm. in the, this problem solving. Yeah, knowing how you're feeling and whether you want that to change or whether you want that feeling to stick around is huge in terms of driving your, your near future behavior. If it's an emotion that I am enjoying and I don't have a problem per se, I can still be motivated to figure out how do I keep this going or how do I get more of this feeling and then I'm setting goals and then I'm making plans. It's something that I really am going to be working on in 2018. I'm going to turn from my screen that I'm looking at <laughs> and look at my child when he's asking me a question. I can just pause for a minute. I know I'm guilty of this. I think we all are. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to be in the moment and present. And, but that's exactly what little people are asking us for when they're asking for our for asking questions or asking for our attention. And like you're saying, you know, turning to them, making eye contact, really listening shows you're important to me. What you have to say is important. You know, I respect you and I respect what your needs are. Ask away. But it's sometimes really hard to get there. But actually when I'm intentional about taking time away from that screen and just thinking about it right now. I, I want to do it more. I want to just give that gift of my time and attention to my child so I get to feel respectful to my child. So how can we encourage one another to embrace this and see kids as worthy of that respect? There's so many different ways to think about respect. I, I love this idea of what do I feel like when I'm being respectful? Because you're, you're, you're talking about this being present, you're talking about giving attention. You're, what you're doing is you're modeling also behavior that you want your children to mimic when they're interacting with other people. And there's, there's a way of thinking about respect that has to do with people respect other people who tend to act in accordance with their own beliefs. So I respect you if your actions reflect things that I value or reflect um, ideas that I value. Um, so I'm observing you, I'm watching your behavior, and I'm determining, in a not fully conscious process, but I'm determining whether I respect you based on whether your behaviors and your actions line up with things that are important to me. So if it's important to me that you're looking at me when we're talking, and you do that, then I'm gonna respect you more. If it's important to me that you give me a chance to talk, 
when we're having a conversation and you do that, then I'm going to respect you more. So by your changing your behavior to be more present and more mindful with your children, you are, whether you realize it or not, encouraging them to respect you more because chances are pretty good that you're acting in line with their values, which is I value when mom looks at me and pays attention to me and answers my questions. And then there's this whole, there's, there's a notion of respect that has to do with um, kind of behaviors or language that is owed to people who are in positions of power over us or people who may be older than we are. And so much of that is um, has cultural influence and community influence. And so a lot of those behaviors really, a lot of times in my work anyway, I leave those up to the family in terms of what are you looking to encourage? How do you want to encourage it? I mean, sometimes it goes down to something so simple as what does the child call me? And some families insist that the child calls me Dr. Pearl. And some families don't. It doesn't matter as much to them. Um, and it doesn't matter to me. I want kids to be comfortable with me. But that is a reflection on what I am valuing in the moment as well. So there's so many different ways to think about respect. But I feel like the, the theme that kind of drives them all together is that, that there's a set of behaviors that we look for that show that we are... Um, paying attention to somebody, listening to somebody, giving our time to that person. So if I didn't have a goal, then how would I know that I've reached success? If we want to help kids feel successful, we have to help them establish goals. So if I say, okay, where do you want to be a month from now? For a younger child, we need to set really small goals, right? So if my kindergartner or first grader doesn't know how to tie their shoes, I want to help them to achieve that goal. But I had a, I had struggle with that. I'm going to go on a little <laughs> bit of a tangent here. Because my child was very happy wearing Velcro shoes yeah. or slip-on <laughs> shoes and had no desire to learn to tie his shoes. So that was not a measure for success for him mm-hmm. because it wasn't his goal. Mm-hmm. It was my goal. Mm-hmm. So I felt like being able to tie his shoes is a life skill that want him to be a part of his life that he can choose shoes. It's a really common one for parents. Oh my goodness, what if he never learns to tie his shoes? That was probably an irrational fear. No, I, mean, I, think, I think that's left over from a time when there, there, there weren't a lot of options. You, you're either wearing slip-on type shoes or you're wearing shoes that tie. But now we have Velcro and now we have these little lace buddies. Oh, zipper and we have, things, exactly, right, right. Exactly. So is that an irrational so goal? I think it's not irrational, but just just like you're saying, not as important to your child as it is to you because he can see the number of options that are available to him. And you know what? When the time comes that he really wants this one particular pair of shoes that only comes in the tie version, there's his motivation to learn to tie. So in the, early on, it's your motivation for him to learn to tie, which is never going to be as strong as his own motivation for him to learn something. Right, right. So setting goals, but not my goals. Yeah. Sometimes I do have goals that I want to see my child achieve. 
I had one one of my sons struggled to to read. I was a homeschooling mom at this time, and that was a goal of mine to help him to achieve this life skill mm-hmm. of being able to read. If you can't read, you know that leads to it like all so many things. It's all true. Of these other things. That was a, a focus for me. But seeing him have frustration, and then his younger brother. Now he's five and a half. His younger brother starts reading at three. Mm-hmm. Now he's feeling like, uh, I don't know exactly what he was feeling at the time, but. I can imagine. As a parent, how do I match his point in life with, you know, needing to help him feel successful, seeing him struggling? How in that situation would you uh, help a parent-child relationship to overcome this situation and to help them both to feel success? I love the idea of starting where the child is. And so it sounds like you realized that you were potentially with your son going from this place of not being able to maybe read at all to the goal of, I want this child fully reading. I want this child to be in quote unquote age appropriate books by this point in time in our learning work together. And it sounds like you realized that you needed to adjust your goal and or break it down into smaller steps. So, you know, maybe for your child at five and a half, um, maybe for him, he would have been really excited to be able to read what was written on the side of his Happy Meal box. And so you set that as an objective, like, okay, let's work on these letters or these words or these sounds or, you know, depending on what kind of approach to literacy you're taking and help him achieve something that's important to him but is still in service of your larger goal. I love when schools or teachers or or parents who are homeschooling, when I see kids being allowed to read high interest material, which could be comic books, it could be video game case inserts, it could be street signs. I mean, who knows what it is that's gonna spark a child's interest, but I love when that's part of their learning in addition to Um, maybe texts that are more structured or more designed to encourage this skill. But, But finding that interest area, breaking down the bigger goal into smaller component pieces, and making sure that you're calling attention to the smaller successes in those component pieces is going to build the child's motivation and is going to build their thoughts of themselves as someone who can, and then ultimately build their self-esteem as well. It was the times when we were just sitting with a book with my finger underneath that was felt really uncomfortable, like going through mm-hmm. the words, word after word after word, and I'm struggling over these words. That felt super uncomfortable. He's not getting it, and I'm pushing him, and he must not be feeling comfortable. But then we could be out at the park, and they had this huge uh, map of the states, and he can read all of the states. Mm. And it was like, okay, well, but then putting them into sentences in a book was more of a struggle. Mm-hmm. So um, helping him to get excited about different subjects. And he loved astronomy and can now tell me things about quasars and quarks. And I have no idea what these things are, but he knows. <laughs> and he has a passion for it. Mm-hmm. So for me, success became helping him to identify passion and what excites him and what does he want to know about and what makes him curious, mm-hmm. helping him to explore his own world in his own way and 
seeing that he's very different from his younger brothers and being able to just nurture him where he is. It goes to me as a parent, well, I want to feel helpful, but making sure that my help is actually helpful. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite gratitude reflection exercises is called the GLAD meditation. And I, I, I teach children to do it at the end of every day or as often as they can. And you think of one thing for each of the four letters in GLAD. So the G is something that you're grateful for from the day. The L is something that you've learned about yourself or someone else. So we add in a social component. It's not that you've learned how to do subtraction with regrouping. We're talking about what have you learned about yourself or someone else. And the A is accomplishment. And we talk about it as something you've accomplished or achieved, whether that's a big thing, like maybe you won spelling bee or your soccer team was victorious or a small step towards a larger goal. So maybe you went to the playground and you looked at that map and last week you couldn't identify or read Arkansas, but this week you could. And that's a smaller step in service of your larger goal of someday being able to read that whole map or someday being able to read the whole book. And I love that A piece especially of this GLAD meditation because it does teach kids that it's not always the massive accomplishments and achievements that we're focusing on that help us feel good about ourselves. It's the accomplishments and the achievements that help us see growth in ourselves that are just as important to focus on. And then the D, just because I don't like to leave things incomplete, um, the D stands for delight. So it's something that delighted you or brought you joy today. Um, and I make kids, or I highly encourage them anyway, to write this out every day in a journal or with these little sheets that I've created because there are going to be some days where you cannot get through all four letters of your GLAD meditation. And you may get stuck in this thinking of, this was the worst day ever, and I have nothing for my letter L today, or nothing for my letter D. That's when you take a deep breath, and you flip back in your journal, and you read through all the other days of GLAD that you've recorded. And what that does then is it shifts your mindset from that negative back to the positive, back to the grateful, which then helps you end your day in a better place than you were five minutes prior. This is so great. I think I'm going to start doing my own glad meditation. I love it. Yes, yes. No, I, mm -hmm. it's, that is so good. Again, the glad meditation, grateful. What mm -hmm. do you learn about yourself or somebody else? Mm -hmm. Accomplished and delight. So I wanted to just touch back about the accomplished because, uh, you know, talking about goal setting and having small goals how can we as parents help kids to establish, like think, even to think about what, what do I want to do? And it's funny that we ask kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> I did this exercise, I actually did a class with kindergarten first graders talking about when I grow up and, and had each kid do their own little page of a book. What I now ask kids is, what problem do you want to solve? Because mm. it just changes that mindset. Mm -hmm. They can be mm -hmm. a problem solver at age six, mm -hmm. right? They don't have to wait until they grow up to be problem solvers. They can look around and say, I see a problem, I'm not, I'm missing the bus, or I don't have enough time in the morning, or the dog spills its food all <laughs> over the floor. Whatever the problem is that is in your little circle, that you could be a problem solver at mm -hmm. any age. 
how can we help kids to see those, to just be aware, and then to see, okay, is this a problem that I want to take on, and, and could I come up with some creative solution that maybe mom or dad didn't think about? I love this idea of, of framing it as what can I do, and building the skills for doing, rather than building the skills for being from such a young age. Well, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be an artist, or something like that. That's a really big jump from age six or seven to what one becomes in one's professional life. But this idea of of doing, like you're saying, can happen at any age. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking the biggest thing for me as a parent taking that approach is allowing the time and having the patience to let my child do. Because with doing comes both successes and stumbles or failures, if you, if you want to call them that. And chances are pretty good that if your child is brainstorming and thinking about what he or she can do, there are going to be some pretty out there ideas in what they come up with. And so for myself, I think it's having the patience to not say, oh, that's not going to work. I'm going to do that. Saying, okay, let's give this a try. Let's do a mini experiment here. What do you think is going to happen? What do you need to get this done? Okay, let's gather the materials or, all right, give it a try. Okay, what was the outcome? Huh? Is that what you wanted to happen? Is that not what you wanted to happen? What could you change next time? Even if I know from the beginning that, you know, that whatever it is, is not going to work. You know, we want to bake a cake with a dozen eggs and and, and a cup of brown sugar. (laughs) You know, maybe sometime we have to do that and see what happens (laughs) in order for my child to learn that he can be a problem solver. One of the things that you just touched on about allowing the experimentation. I think it's so great because what I don't remember from my formal education experience was taking the science and the experimentation to the point where I'm allowed to fail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We set up science experiments that are designed to succeed. You have an assignment and here is the expected outcome and follow these steps to get to expected outcome as opposed to using that critical thinking to get to the problem solving. I see this as as an opportunity for parents to help their children to fail in a safe way. If we can teach kids that failure is a good thing, it leads to learning Mm -hmm. that, wow, that didn't work, so what can we do? We don't stop there. We want to get to the goal. But in order to allow kids to have that feeling of success, they have to go through this, wow, it didn't work, and then it did. Mm -hmm. Wow, that Mm -hmm. I overcame an obstacle. That low feeling we talked about in the last podcast was, I want to be sunny all the time. I want (laughs) to be that high energy, these sunny emotions. And, And why can't I? Because it's not that our brain wouldn't have the response, but when I feel proud, when I feel accomplished, it's because I've had those, the balance of low experience, mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. low energy that I, I felt sad because it didn't work. Or I felt disappointed because it didn't work. But then when it did, that high is so much higher that I, I want to do it again. Right. And isn't it a great thing that I kept going? Yes. I got that experience last time. Maybe I can keep going this time. Too. Right. Right. Yeah. And so your brain remembers that it worked. So one example might be, my goal is that I'm going to be on time for school every day this mm-hmm. month. Okay, so, it, you know, if that's a problem that, that we've identified. But then what happens if one day we wake up late? 
So have we failed the entire experiment? Or do we see that as, okay, that adds to the learning. What did we do mm -hmm. wrong? We had three great days in a row where the clothes were put out the night before and we knew what we were gonna eat for breakfast and the alarm was set. What, what step did we miss because we didn't uh, have success today? I think it's super important to, from a really early age, start talking to kids about how struggle or difficulty builds strength, it builds problem-solving muscles, it builds creativity, it builds mental flexibility, it in no way is a signal that you are doing something wrong or that something is wrong with you. So just because you're having this problem or this struggle does not mean there is a problem with you. This is an opportunity for you to build and develop skills. You know, if we never had any problems, we'd never be motivated to change things or learn new things. So as uncomfortable as whatever this is might feel right now, you are building thinking muscles. Even though this is hard right now, it will get easier because you will get stronger as you go through it. Yeah, so break the problem down into parts. You might be experiencing many different emotions, uh, accepting what your emotions are, and three, understanding that those difficulties are going to lead to future problem solving and then building your problem solving muscle as you as you said exactly so mixed emotions is much more than just a game um, as you heard today it is really about helping kids to understand their emotions so that they can be better problem solvers that's it for today's podcast Joining us next month is the author of the co-parenting handbook, Raising Well-Adjusted and Resilient Kids from Little Ones to Young Adults Through Divorce or Separation, Karen Bonnell. This is brought to you by The Game of Mixed Emotions, which is a fast, easy, and fun card game that helps kids to... Uh, this Mixed Emotions podcast was brought to you today by The Game of Mixed Emotions. Fast, easy, and card game. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by The Game of Mixed Emotions, a fast, easy, and fun card game that teaches emotional vocabulary and helps kids to feel happier, healthier, and more successful. You can find it at mixedemotions.co. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mixed Emotions Game. Hope you're having a great day. I look forward to talking to you next time.